0: or have the Bible open on your lap, all things are good. Let's hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 72.
1: Okay. Good morning. If you'd like to read along with me. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him and nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls and the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. And amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Lord, we do, of course, pray and ask that you would raise up for us leaders who serve your good purposes, your good and holy purposes, Lord, who honor you, Father God, and esteem what is good and right and true. Yet we acknowledge, Lord, that those prayers are satisfied alone in you thank you that you are the just and righteous king lord we bless your name and thank you for in your wisdom lord you both create that longing in our hearts through the circumstances of our lives and the situations in the world and you satisfy that lonely uh, longing as only you can you do all things well So um, thank you, Father, for being the king for whom we await. Thank you for having sent that king in Jesus. And thank you, Father, for answering all of our prayers as we await his return. We bless your holy name forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen and amen. Now, yesterday, somehow I hurt my neck. So if I don't look at you over here, it's because you're harder to love. Um, more painful. But over here, you're very easy to love. So I'll look this direction. So if you don't feel like I'm looking at you, may the spirit convict you anyway. Okay. Um, Psalm 72. Jesus is the king that our souls long for. You're actually created to long for a king like the one that is described in Psalm 72, the father himself even. It's like central to this reality of who you are as a human. And Jesus is the one provided to meet that longing, to fulfill that void, to satisfy our soul. And this week, Ewan and I had opportunity. We actually went to two Christmas conference, or conferences, concerts, um, this week. One better than the other, um, but both delightful. But the, the first, it was just an amazing evening. We got to hear Becca sing. That girl can sing. And uh, it, it was just a, a wonderful concert, but it was like a whole event for us. So we went from piano practice right downtown, and we, Ewan and I had dinner, and then we were going to the concert venue, First Presbyterian Church. I told Roger that would be a great venue for us. He was worried that it was too much for Gustavo to clean. Uh, but just a beautiful setting to hear beautiful music, but while we are driving down and we're driving through neighborhoods that I typically don't go through in downtown San Diego, but I was struck by just the reality of like there are signs of the distress among humanity, right? The dis-ease from running after whims and desires that leave us unsatisfied and just leave humanity sick and still longing. It's like if we just have eyes to like just step back and see the things that we're running after and what they actually do to us as humans, we would be devastated to realize that that perpetual pursuit of self is failing us. And there were just reminders along the way. So we're headed towards this concert. And I think they're mostly reminders for me as I was driving and paying attention to all these things around there and thinking, even in my own life, I find myself chasing after things of self that don't match the need that is deep within me. It's easy for me to recognize the things that I run after because I'm missing that that longing's actually met somewhere else. And then we're sitting under this beautiful setting and music and singing at this concert, and I was struck by what was being sung, right? And we sang it, Christ the Lord. Just these voices announcing that the Messiah has come, that Christ is truly Lord. And for many, I assume, making that phrase beautiful at that concert, they were doing so absent belief or even understanding what that truly means. Right? And not casting judgment on them, but just realizing that in the dark of Advent, I can recognize my own neglect of this truth. Just realize the tension of our world pursuing the object of that phrase, without even knowing it. Because even all those that were singing of a Lord who had come are actually longing for a Lord. Ruth Haley Barton, a great author, spiritual director, says, during Advent, we occupy our greatest longings. That's what the season of waiting is supposed to do. Teach us, help us recognize those things that we actually long for. And I think they're just summed up with the re- realities of I want to belong. I want to have a people. I want to be welcomed in. I want to be valued. I want somebody to see me, to be care for, cared for. And we want to be led with compassion and purpose, right? We want a good boss for once. We want good government for once. Maybe build that thing. I, I should just run for political office, and I'd solve everyone's problems or make them worse. But I think we see through this psalm the answer to our greatest longings, to the reality of these desires to be known, to be valued. And I think Jesus is the king that our souls long for. So during our long advent from the Psalms, we've been building a case for a king, essentially, for the one to make all things right, the one that can lift our heads in hope and confidence. And Psalm 72 is a prayer of a father for his son and something more than his son. This is the last of the Psalms that we are told. They're written by David, and they say son of Jesse, so we know this is the Very real historic David that wrote these and is closing this book of the Psalter, this hymn book of God's people. And he prays a far better prayer for Solomon than I do for my kids, right? Because usually my prayer for my kids are like, Oh Lord, help them stop annoying me, right? No, not really. Or help them get or help them sleep good, right? How many times is that prayer answered? Come on, Jesus, right? I mean, but we. We pray in situation, and here, David is definitely praying for Solomon. that his, at the, This may be at like the announcement that he's going to be king or David's decision that he's going to pass on his throne to Solomon, but he prays in an amazing way that God would empower his son. But in this prayer, there is more than desiring just for his son's reign To be empowered by God. David actually points forward to another king that will occupy his throne. This is the king of glory that is to come. And this is what his reign will look like. This is what David is praying into. What the other Psalms have announced this king that was coming. And here's how he will lead us. And while it may not be as self-evident as I think, the aches of our heart, the longings of our souls are actually met in this king, met in what he provides, what he brings, who he values and saves. So following the, the text this morning, we just want to think through three kind of categories, the promise of the king, and there you go, Julie Hanson, I've shared the Wi-Fi password with you. Or no, there was a problem, so you don't get it. So we're going to think through the promise of the king. I got this on do not disturb, and I'm still being disturbed. Thank you. We're going to recognize the arrival as the presence of the king and then cling to the hope of the persistence of the king as we await. The password, guys, is smell like Jesus, all lowercase, if you need it. There, we shared it with everyone. So promise of the king, presence of the king, persistence of the king of the King. We start with the promise of the King. This week I was reading an article from an executive coach. I I do some church plant coaching, so I'm interested in the coaching world. And she wrote, by nature, humans always look to a leader to help them learn what to do. Children see their parents as leaders and employees see their boss as a leader. And throughout every aspect of a human's life, they seek leadership. Even leaders learn their skills from other leaders. Leadership is a cycle and an important part of life. And without it, most people would be lost. And I think just this thinking and the reality of the truth that she was explaining, it just hints at our human inclination toward leaders towards those that would forge ahead for us, that would teach us what is right and give us what we most need in any moment. And I think this inclination is actually, as we've talked about, built into us so that we will long for God himself. It's actually a good thing, this desire to be led well. And all of Psalm 72 paints the promise of the best leader. Better than you could even imagine. Everything described here is exactly what we would see in the greatest king that would ever come. And Solomon as king certainly has some of these things, but a reign lasting as long as the sun suggests to us another. One writer says, this extension of time beyond the lifespan of a mere mortal leads to the conclusion that the psalm looks past Solomon and his immediate heirs and ultimately to the Messiah. And so who is he, this king, that is described? He's a king endowed by the Father with justice. He's a defender, a deliverer. He is a good and righteous king. But what I was struck by in study of this text is that it's who benefits from his rule that is so counter to everything that we know. And even of what Israel knows is they are the people singing this song, right? May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Uh, further down it says, for he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Is one of the so-called royal psalms. It's unique. This one stands alone in emphasizing the king's role in defending and protecting the weakest of society. So this is substantial, because typically we really rally around kings that are kind of jerks to the weakest of our society. They put themselves and those that support them above all of the riffraff, right? And just real talk this morning. As a humanity, we do not like the poor, right? We see them as problems to be handled or... Uh, people that are just responsible for their own situation, so why should I have to help them? They made these choices. We don't naturally value their lives. Like, that's just our normative posture post fall. That's how we view other image bearers of God who have less than, right? And even Israel, they are given such promise this directive of what god's kingdom is supposed to look like they're instructed to bolster and care for the least that are among them the poor among them yet the jubilee that is announced as a regular system for god's people never happens Promise made. You're supposed to live like this. You are to forgive debts. You are to restore inheritance. You are to care for all of God's people. And they never do it. And then they go on to oppress the least in the face of of Yahweh's commands otherwise. In utter rebellion to his plan and his directive for them. And I know this is something that is broken because of sin. This despising Of others and I love how Advent attempts to drive a wedge in the crack of this reality and stir humanity to generosity but this king doesn't just seasonally help the poor it is the hallmark of his reign central to who he is James Hamilton a scholar and pastor says this prayer then seeks God to make the king one who does justice even for those From whom he stands to gain nothing. Equality before the law, without regard for social standing or the capacity to pay bribes, is precisely what establishes true justice. We don't, I don't think we even have the capacity to fully understand the ways in which poverty, as described in Scripture, is both physical and spiritual. But rather than be served as every other king would, this king serves the needy because that's all there actually is. When we're humbled enough to recognize that we are just as needy as others, we can see ourselves being served here by this righteous king. The truth is, you likely have no doubt where dinner is going to come from tonight, right? And if you do, like, That's what the community is for. Let us help each other in that. But we typically don't have to worry about those things of making ends meet or feeding our children versus ourselves. But the nearly universal struggle with anxiety in our cultural moment indicates that things are outside of our control. That we're in need. That we have help to happen. We need someone to intervene on our behalf. It's a spiritual reality for us, as Paul writes to the Romans church, as it's written, tying back to the Old Testament, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together those that are turning aside have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Later in the chapter, he'll say the, the verse we all know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are in poverty. All are in Need and humbled by the reality of that, we just see our need for this king. Because I can't live up to the worldly definition of success that might make the worldly king happy in me. I need the one who sees me and values me for my poverty and need. The second half of verse 14 man, it's, I told my family, it's been sitting with me all week. It's one of those verses that's like acid. It just kind of burns. Right? Precious is their blood in his sight. And like, this is us, but this is also every other image bearer around us. Precious is their blood in his sight. Precious is their life. Just strike. Like, I want to see that same value in people. I want their blood to be precious in my sight because I'm living under the reign of this king. The king saves and blesses his people. And what description we have here. There's abundance, there's flourishing. The king gives provision, abounding grain, fruitfulness. It's a kingdom of thriving people under his rule. So longing for this is not an ancient Myth, but it's a present reality that we need a king to rescue us in this way, to provide for us, to reform us, to reshape us into something for his glory. And the the promise goes on. Not only is this reign just and good for the people, but his reign is global and universal. See in verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river that translated the Euphrates, right? So we're going back to the garden as the starting place of his reign to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May they like a snake wallow through the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. This covers, you have to understand, not just like uh, geographic borders you might map out in the back of the book, but this is meant to be expansive, covering the whole of the world. The riches of the world are described here to be brought to him. And so much of our experience of kingliness, of power, has been impacted by people getting power wrong. The abuse of power since the fall. And worldly power gains strength by oppressing the least. And peace in our existence is always absent and only promised through domination or strength as defined as the ability to subdue others, right? I mean, just think of it from a geopolitical reality. That's how we have lived our human existence for almost all of history. But this king wields power vastly differently because peace comes as the oppressed are Redeemed. His reign seems to be an embrace of weakness that brings prosperity. It's not a momentary peace of a ceasefire. This prayer is for peace to abound till the moon be no more. It's a peace that goes on forever. So his reign is global, it's universal, and it extends for all time, and his reign is eternal. May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And this is more than just hyperbole for Solomon's reign. This is for the king that is above all kings. This matches the Abrahamic covenant of you will uh, the whole world will be blessed by his seed. And it's what we need. It's who we're created for. It's the life that we're actually invited into, never looking for another king, but finding ourselves satisfied, valued, helped, prospering in the reign of this king in our life. And this king is good. And friends, he's not imaginary. He has come. This is the presence of the king. Verse 8 is, Almost identical to the second part of Zechariah 9:10, which belongs to a passage that is explicitly messianic. And since the Psalms praise here for the Davidic king, it predates the post-exilic prophet Zechariah, and thus the prophet employed the words of the Psalm, taking it as a uh, pointing forward to an event that was yet to come, right? Zechariah writes, rejoice, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The same language there. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. I return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. If the prophet saw this psalm as promising the Messiah, then we certainly can as well. It is all about Jesus, the King who takes on our flesh, knows our need, and who gives himself to bring peace in an a earlier pre-exilic prophet expanded even further on this promise of this king to come and we know it is Isaiah 9 right the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, oh same word used in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. On them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's a lasting peace. For to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh, the God of hosts, will do this the increase of his government and a peace of his kingdom. There will be no end on David's throne, ruling with justice and righteousness. All that David prays for, all that the prophets point to, is provided for us in Jesus. And the zeal of the Lord will do it, and he has done it. We go to a New Testament gospel writer to Luke's account of the birth and in those days. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region... that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom with His plea." So when the night is dark, this is the light we need. The arrival of the king that is promised in Psalm 72. Salvation, forgiveness of rejecting God as king, being freed from the oppression and violence of sin, given the gift of peace in his presence in us. One writer says this psalm imagines a land in which People flourish economically, and the needy are protected. But by his word and example, Jesus announces a kingdom that brings relief, healing, and life to people physically as well as spiritually. So now when we sing that Christ is Lord, it's meaningful to us. He is meant to be the ruler of our hearts and lives, the anchor of our souls, and our psalm looks forward to this worldwide rule that embraces in full what the messiah will accomplish and the old testament anticipates this heir of david who will take the throne and bring the light of god to all the nations and the new testament is then careful to explain that jesus by virtue of his life death resurrection and ascension has begun to fulfill this task through the christian mission that he invites all of us into bringing peace, the extension of his kingdom, and all of the, this just truth of his presence and arrival keeps us steady as we wait for the experience of his eternal reign. This is the persistence of the king. One of our creeds says it this way, Jesus shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. So Jesus is the Messiah promised to right that which is wrong, to draw all people to himself, to bring us back to the garden where we are meant to dwell with God forever. One scholar says that this does and should shape our experience now. Christians who sing along with Psalm 72 confess Jesus to be the hope for Messiah. They confess as well that the hints of divine honors are manifested fully in the incarnate one. Christians ought to seek to have their corporate life reflect the goodness and justice described here, and they ought as well to embrace their role as God's instruments for bringing his light ultimately to all the nations of the earth. We are the needy that he blesses, that he calls and sends to extend his reign and rule. And he is the king that we can give our lives to. I talk a lot about this text in Matthew 16, but I I always cut it short by a few verses. But the totality of why we give up our lives is because Christ is returning, right? And we see this episode where Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul We usually end there. That's like good. That's like Christian motivation. Like this is the life you're to live. But he says directly in relation to giving up our lives for his glory. For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Giving up our lives for him is in reflection of the reality of his coming return. And so from his promise and presence, we recognize his persistent way, and then we choose to live in it. We live for the things that his kingdom is about, uh, being for the least, being a people of rescue, of renewal, of belonging, Love the Reminder from Fleming Rutledge, she says, The church is not called to be a change agent. God is the agent of change. The Lord of the cosmos has already wrought the great exchange in his cross and resurrection, and the life of the people of God is sustained by the mighty, by that mighty enterprise. The calling of the church, then, is to place itself where God is already at work. So Advent for us is a time of aligning our lives with Our king, the king described in Psalm 72, and only Jesus can satisfy the longing of our souls for a good king, for one to come and rescue us. And the invitation then for us is to let him reign in your heart and to join in what he is doing through his persistent kingdom. By his spirit, our perspective would change and precious would be their blood to us. In your need, call out to Jesus, experience his peace and bring his light wherever you go. So Jesus is the king our souls long for. And Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, essentially rewrote Psalm 72 in a song he called Jesus Shall Reign." Said so Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does as it, its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. To him shall endless prayer be made and praises throng to crown his head. His name, like sweet perfume, shall rise with every morning sacrifice. People in realms of every tongue dwell on his love. With sweetest song, and infant voices shall proclaim their early blessings on his name. Blessings abound where he reigns. The prisoners leap to, tho- to loose their chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all who suffer want are blessed. Let every creature rise and bring the highest honors to our King. Angels descend with song above, and earth repeat the loud. Amen. May we be those that recognize the King and call Him our own and put ourselves where God is already at work. Be people that give our lives for the glory of this King. And may He whose second coming in power and great glory we await make you steadfast in faith, joyful in hope, and constant in love. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Would you pray with me? Good and holy God, we thank you for the promise and the realization of this perfect, righteous, just, and good king. Jesus, help us to recognize your claim over our lives as our sovereign. Or would you, by your Spirit, help reframe our perspective in such a way that we endeavor to find where you are at work and join in that, that your kingdom would go forth, that the least would be forever changed, and that your glory would fill this earth in Jesus name Amen and Amen we're going to partake of this meal